Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkin Road Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you're under 25, you may not be familiar with the term disruption. Disruption was the buzzword that drove most of the tech boom in the early 2000s. Disruption is a euphemism. It's a combination of revolution and destruction. For example, streaming music platforms disrupted the recording music industry, and Uber disrupted the taxi industry, and in the biggest, most widespread disruption of all, e-commerce led by Amazon disrupted the retail industry. As a result of e-commerce disruption, the huge number of small retailers had to shut up shop. The too-big-to-fail retailers like Sears, Neiman Marcus, Toys R Us, JCPenney, and Circuit City all filed for bankruptcy. Amid this widespread retail carnage, a local New Orleans women's clothing store called Hemline has not only survived, it's flourished. Hemline has grown from a single store on Charter Street in the French Quarter to a chain of local stores and a franchise with a total of 30 stores in seven states, including Florida, Tennessee, and Texas. The brand marketing and events manager at Hemline is Christina Eberman. Christina, welcome Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. The reason you barely hear the word disruption anymore is because pretty much every industry that could have been disrupted has been. In 2017, Laurel Hess was in marketing. When she came home from a business trip to a mountain of laundry, she had a sudden realization that nobody had disrupted the laundry industry. Thinking there had to be busy people like her who would love nothing more than for someone to come and take away their dirty laundry and bring it back the next day washed and folded. Laurel created the Uber of Laundry, Hamper, which is spelled H-A-M-P-R. Hamper started in Lafayette, Louisiana. Today, Hamper is in eight states, including Texas, Colorado, and Arizona, and that number is growing almost monthly as the Uber of Laundry spreads across the country and attracts investors. Laurel Hess, welcome Out to Lunch. Thank you. <laughs> Christina, the obvious question to start with is, what does Hemline know that clothing retail industry leaders like Neiman Marcus don't? What is the secret to growing a brand and a chain of successful women's clothing stores in an extraordinarily hostile retail environment? I think for us, and it's something that we essentially pride ourselves on, and I'm not saying that the big chain retailers don't do this, but it's really being in tune to our, being in tune with our customers. It's not only from just the day-to-day -day interactions that our stylists have with the customers, it's the social media, it's our social media outlets and everything that we're putting out on social media from our in-store events to all of these different kind of touch points that we have with our customers. When a customer comes into the store and they leave, we still try to have a form of communication with them, whether that's through an app that we use called Client Book or now as we're going more and more into e-commerce and our online stores, that's, those are, we've heard what our customers have wanted and that's really 
I think what sets us apart is us being really in tune with them and trying to give them what they want and also what they need. And uh, that follow-up is that you take information like what size she was and that she likes tight slacks, which is one of the funniest oxymorons. But uh, So you get that information, and that's how you uh, communicate with them. That, but also really a lot of it's the stylists themselves and what they, you know, that it's that information exactly that they gain. You know, they they know that they love sparkly sparkly outfits or, the, or sparkly dresses or sparkly shoes and they you know they have an, a continuing conversation with them that is where that's what puts us in the forefront of all of our customers minds of when they want to shop they want to shop local but they also want to shop with our stylists and with everyone at Hemline. Laura when the COVID pandemic first hit the whole country closed down and we all stayed home and try to stop the spread of the virus. When we're able to get vaccines and business opened up again, employers, especially in retail and hospitality, were surprised to find that huge numbers of people didn't go back to work. Economists were mystified and wondered what all these people were doing to pay the rent and buy groceries. Now, Laurel, I'm not suggesting that you alone are responsible for what came to be known as the Great Resignation, but maybe your business hamper is an indicator of what's going on in the wider economy. Instead of getting a regular job, people can opt to stay home and run a laundry business out of their house. These people who wash clothes for hamper are for some reason not called hamsters, which would have been great. They're called washers, which is washers without the E. Based on your recruiting of washers, do you think the gig economy is having this massive effect on the overall economy? How do you go about finding washers? Actually, they find us. We're really lucky in that. And, and what we're going after is not, there are some people who do gig economy work, but largely it's an untapped workforce that couldn't participate in the gig economy because they had to be home for long periods of time. So it's stay-at-home parents, retirees, they're taking care of loved ones at home. So they haven't really been able to go and drive for Uber or shop for a ship. They've kind of been stuck at home. So this is a great opportunity for them to continue to contribute to their household while uh, being at home and taking care of the people they need to take care of. And uh, is there a certain demographic to what you do? Uh, I, I picture everybody needs to do laundry, but there's some that are just better customers for you, right? Oh yeah, our largest demographic is busy dual income families with two or more kids. So they're, they're dual earners, they're out of the home, they work a lot. And on the weekends, they just have kid activities, t-ball, soccer, birthday parties, and they just don't have time. Um, after that, it's busy bachelors. That's, I was going to tell you, I wish you were around when I was single and working like a dog. Yeah. I would have walked around with clean clothes, which would have been terrific. Wouldn't that be great? That would have <laughs> been better for me. Um, Christina, how do you measure success? You know, I think Wall Street would say same store sales, number of stores, uh, but is it something else? I think for us, it's not just the number of stores or number of employees or even sales at the end of the day. It's also the team that we have and also how, not happy, but how successful our franchisees are. Because also what we want and the what, what we want for everybody that is a member of Hemline is to be successful, whether it's, you know, in their own stores or, corp, or working for Hemline Corporate. We want each of them to feel that they are a part of this huge, you know, great business that we're building. And, and, you know, I was well aware of the stores you had here, but I was surprised. It was a couple of years ago. I was over going to the beach and in Sandestin you had one. It really shocked me. It was like, wow. Exactly. Exactly. We're growing, you know, we, we're growing exponentially. 
We're, you know, we are always looking for new stores and how do those stores kind of fit in to what we're doing. And there was, I actually wanted to go back to that, uh, to the first question that you had asked where you were asking, you know, what makes us so successful or what, you know, how do we set ourselves apart from those retailers? But it's also when you go to a hemline in Sandestin or you go to a hemline in Nashville, each of those stores are kind of made to fit that certain community. You're not going to, it's not just a, to me, Neiman and Marcus, it's, they, they're not curating their store to fit that community. It's one size fits all. And that's not, that's not what necessarily we're putting forward. We want to, in any community that we're going into, we want it to feel like we're a part of that community as well. So I think that that's another thing that not only sets us apart, but also contributes to our success as well. And Laurel, you did something that's pretty amazing. And that is, you were tied to the, uh, the accelerator incubator of Techstars. And there's 17,000 applicants to that program every year, and they accept 1%. What do they see? I think it's a common problem that everybody has with a really simple solution that's almost deceptively simple. It's like, why hasn't someone thought about this before? It should have existed. And so for me, I think it was right place, right time, right team to really grow it and scale it. And you have all the things that investors want. You're asset light, you're, uh, you're profitable, you're scalable, uh, and you've done a pretty good job of raising money. Uh, yep, we've raised just under $7 million to date, um, and we just had a $3 million run rate this month. In two years, that's pretty unheard of, so this, growing pretty fast. And you have um, Mrs. Benson? Yes. That's pretty yeah. Benson terrific Capital too. Partners was our first institutional money in, and that's her sort of hybrid office, um, part venture firm, part family office. And Christina, the thing that come, keeps coming up when I look at uh, sites about your company, you talk about a very unique franchise model. There's some, we actually have had people on the show that have franchises that weren't very friendly, others that were. What is yours? Well, I think that we're just a big family, if you want to say it that way. So essentially, what happened is we had employees that worked with us that never, when I say didn't want to leave, they were going off and starting different parts of their lives and they wanted to take that piece of family, that hemline family with them. Well, that's essentially how our franchises started. When it comes to our franchisees and the, and the family that we have, I think that that's what sets us apart is they know that they can always count on us as well and being in that corporate office too. It's not like there's any difference between us and them, we're all working together towards one common goal. So if an employee said, um, I'd like to go back home and I live in, uh, I grew up in Oxford, um, you can't just do that. You must have to do some research to figure out if a store would work there. Exactly, exactly. We do a lot of research on the area, different things in that area, you know, household income, what contributes what different things are in that area that can help make that hemline as successful as possible. Now, both of your companies are women-owned. Um, does that make a difference? Um, I'll, I guess I'll start with, start with well, you. Well, when you think about laundry, 70% of people who do laundry are women. So we understand the pain point really acutely, and I think that makes a big difference in the way that we come up with a solution for it. Every other on-demand laundry platform is run by a man. So we really stand out because our model is specifically geared toward the pain point that exists and a solution for that. And here in the South, <clears throat> it is a little bit more challenging to be a female founder and try to raise funds. 
Um, but we've done it. Uh, we just keep going, and we're super persistent. <laughs> now, I think your company should be run by women. I think it's uh, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised about that part. The um, what is? In fact, that's what I was going to ask you. Is what is that demographic? I mean, you've obviously got it fine-tuned, or you wouldn't be able to uh, make yeah. this work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the target demographic for us are women 25 to 34, but that's you know we really kind of service all women. We want a woman that walks into Hemline to feel confident and to not just walk in feeling confident, but leave feeling confident as well so that they can go out and really be the best version of themselves. And that's a lot of what we, you know, that's not just from when they walk into the store. When they walk into the store, they it goes back to those stylists. They make them, they, they really do. So this do. stylist, why don't we define that? That's uh, That would be the salesperson, but that's also she's... She's your point person when you come into the store. She's the person that not only is going to be you know, walking with you, making sure, hey, you know, what, what are you looking for today? How can we make you feel the most confident version of yourself? But not only that, they're going to have a conversation with them after they even leave the store because they've picked up on some of the things that they like, some of the things that they, you know, maybe they were looking for something this one time and then they're not going to necessarily, we didn't necessarily have it in the store. They are going to really kind of have an ongoing relationship with them. So then that way, you're still the, when you're walking out and it's a month from now, you're still, you know, you're, we're still having an ongoing conversation with you. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Christina Eberman, brand marketing and events manager at Hemline, the chain of women's clothing stores, and Laurel Hess, creator of Hamper, the sharing economy laundry app. And Laurel, your company is so, um, is so scalable. I mean, I guess that's one reason it's grown so fast. What do you need to do first? Do you need the do you need to figure out whether there's customers there or do you need to figure out if there's washers there or how does that all go? It has to happen at the same time because you can't have one without the other. Right. So what we try to do when we look for a new location is we match our tapestry profile. It's how the U.S. Census defines you. So we took all of our active users and we thought, okay, what tapestry do they match? And then we looked for pockets of that around the United States. And that's how we've created our roadmap. So we'll launch a market based on that profile and we'll onboard maybe two or three washers and then start marketing, and kind of it, the flywheel takes off from there and grows from there. Now, when Uber first started, one of the big problems they had, you can remember this, is convincing you to get into a car with a stranger. Um, what did, what was the blowback on your idea? Were there people that were a little antsy about the thing? Yeah, I think at any time you're trusting someone with something, it's a little scary. You're, it's not like. Instacart where someone's bringing me something that I didn't have before. You're actually taking things away that I own. So we make sure that everyone's background checked to the same standard as a public school teacher. And wow. we are obsessive about our ratings to make sure that they're trained and, and your clothes are going to be safe. But I think that the gig economy and the sharing economy has really helped people kind of overcome that hurdle, which is why I think this is the right place, right time, because we are getting in cars with strangers. We are staying at strangers' homes, and we're used to that. It's not much further to say a stranger's going to do my laundry. <laughs> that's, pro that's probably right. They, now, Christina, we talk about the at, at Hemline. You've got this very personal, uh, personal feel, but you, you've really over the last couple of years have really built out online. Yes. Does that go against what we're talking about, or is just a supplement? No, not at all. It's really just a supplement because what we've learned, and as we're learning now, it's people 
want that online experience as well. It's really just supplementing what we've already done. And they it's people that maybe they've come into Nashville. They've come into our Nashville store. They know that the look and style that this certain store fits their fits their certain aesthetic. Okay, well, now I see that they have an online store. I might not live necessarily close to our Nashville store. Let me continue that online relationship with them. But our online stores have really taken off, not just because we're online, but also because of social media as well. There's so many different articles and information out there that are really kind of showing how much of an impact on online sales that social media has had. And, we, and we've also seen that. And I think that that kind of adds to that supplement of us being online as you well. get the same person who might come in the store and might buy online? Yes. Def- oh, definitely. We've seen that return customer that has now been able to shop in our store, now been able to go online, and also cont- it helps us continue that relationship with them. Laura, you've got actually... You got me kind of intrigued. How much does it cost to have your laundry done? <laughs> so right now we're a membership model. Okay, it's, so explain explain that. <clears throat> it's $39 per year. That gets you access to the platform. And it comes with these four pop-up bags. And that's how you use the service. Because for me, it was really important. It was flat rate transparent. A lot of laundry companies do it per pound. And I have no idea how much my laundry weighs. So you fill up your bag and you scan it. It gets claimed by a washer. They come to your home, pick it up, and you can put in your preferences per load, however you want it washed. They bring it back to their home. That ranges between $10 and $15 per hamper bag, depending on what market you live in. And then they bring it back the next day. That that seems difficult to get it back the next day. Actually, they prefer to bring it back as soon as possible. They don't really want to keep it in their house, so a lot of them will deliver it the same day. (laughs) Wow. Now, I have to tell you, there was another company that started in Lafayette, and had kind of a model like this and took the E out of their name, and they're having a very difficult time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you learn something from that? We learned a lot from them. This is Waiter, by the way, if you've got a crayon and you're writing down the the names (laughs) here. (laughs) Actually, we were lucky that a lot of people who worked for Waiter helped us with our initial iterations of our app. Some really talented engineers that were on the team that helped us out. Because that's what I was going to say. Wall Street, when they were looking at your company, or let's say uh, Techstars were looking at your company, they probably weren't saying that's a laundry company. They're saying it's a tech play, right? It, it's a tech platform. It's a third-party logistics delivery last mile platform that's just using laundry as a use case. Christina, how much flexibility does uh, a franchise owner have? Uh, you know, I mean, for instance, uh, we talked earlier and one of your staff members was going off to Dallas to the Mart and finding, finding clothes. Uh, how much of it is done by headquarters and how much of it is done by the franchisee? Okay, so essentially, Marketing is fully done from the corporate office. We like to take their input. So essentially what happens is, and a lot of what I do is, we have a franchisee that comes to us and they're like, I have this great partner that I work with and let's say Lafayette. It could be a great jewelry brand. It could be a great artist. It could be anybody like that. They will schedule a pop-up with them because we, because obviously with our marketing, we can, you know, we can use their audience and our audience and really kind of put together these great events. So we do take a lot of input from our franchisees in terms of, you know, not only what works best in their communities when they're curating their stores, but also what, you know, what marketing would work best in their area as well. A lot of them will do, you know, they'll, they're like, I want to be in this certain magazine and we'll, we'll help them in terms of creative that they're putting out there just so then that way the aesthetic of the brand is the same. We'll help them with that, those aspects of it. 
also when it comes to, I think I spoke about this earlier, when we talk about going to market and we have these, we have this buying team that's going to market, that buying team is essentially made up of the people that were grandfathered in and some of these first people that started these franchises. So they will help other stores kind of curate their looks. So then that way, there's a you know, there's a common theme across the brand, but then each store is a little bit different. Because that franchisee so. is really localizing the store, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so that's kind of like, like we said, like through those events, that's helping localize that store because we're you know they're not gonna, that event's not going to be the same in New Orleans as it is in maybe Houston at one of our Houston stores. But what we can also see is a common th trend. Right now, this permanent jewelry pop up, it's going. You know, is this separate from what you have, the, the, the pop-up? The pop-up is actually an in-store event. Oh. And so a lot of that and why we plan these in-store events is to bring in maybe somebody that not necessarily knows about our brand, but they know about the pop-up's brand. So they're saying to their, you know, we're putting it out there, hey, we're doing a pop-up with this local jewelry brand. Somebody might know the local jewelry brand, but they don't necessarily know Hemline. They, now that we're partnering with this local jewelry brand, they are actually going to bring in maybe a different audience. So you both win. Exactly. We both win. And we've seen time and time again when we talk to these franchisees and we're asking them, how was the pop-up? How was this? They're like, it brought in a different customer that I might not would have seen if I hadn't done this. And so that's where we're, and then we go to other franchisees and we talk to them when they're planning their anniversary events or they're planning their, they're planning just a spring break event because they might be in a college town. If you had gone to work for Neiman Marcus, they would still be alive. Oh, sorry. That's, uh, they, uh, it's, uh, hey Laurel, I, I gotta ask you, um, you are a Loyola grad, so yeah. uh, New Orleans was your home. Are you in this market? Yep. And uh, how this long have you third. been here? We came into this market in the summer of 2020. So almost two years. Rough time to come in. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> just stayed, stayed with it. Do you think um, some companies, let's face it, some companies died during the pandemic and some flourished. Actually, the reason you both flourished. And uh, do you think it was smarts, capital? What do you think it was? I think we were lucky with the timing, honestly, because we had just launched two months before the pandemic hit. So there wasn't this big downturn for us. It was a tiny dip and then we just kept growing. I think if we had, if it had hit now, we would have seen a bigger downturn. It would have taken us harder, a longer time to recover. So we were really lucky that we were so new. And each, there was nowhere to go but up. Uh, each, <laughs> each of you um, has a set plan for how many stores to open in a year. Is that, uh, I guess, is it flexible? Is it uh, who determines that? I mean, that's a very tough thing to say. I think for us, it goes along with it. It takes, it takes us looking at, okay, who wants to open a store? Where is that store going to be opened? How, you know, what's the, does that, do, do the people in that certain town fit our target demographic? Um, you know, there's so many different things that factor into when we open a store. And so we want to make sure it's right because not only do we want to be successful, we want that franchisee to be successful as well. So one thing I really admire about Hemline is how hyper-local it feels. Um, I, Went to school here in New Orleans and a, there was a hemline here. And when I moved to Lafayette, there was a hemline. And I was like, wait, I thought that was local. And you even mentioned it earlier. There's one in Destin. It's like it follows your lifestyle because everyone here vacations in Destin. And I just think that's really cool how it feels like a unique individual boutique, but it's not. Yeah, thank you so much. It's definitely something that we strive for when we, like when we talk about, you know, even opening a new boutique or anything like that, we want to make sure that we fit that certain area for sure.
And, uh, have you washed Hemline laundry? You know, no one wants me to do their laundry. That's why I started Hamburg. Oh, Amber. okay. All right. There's, uh... <laughs> but I'm sure. I'm sure we maybe have had a piece or two come through. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Christina, how do you get people to uh, come back, like, on a seasonal basis? You know, the idea that they need to refresh, and they should do it at the same place they bought it. I think that goes with a lot of even our events. You know, we all... We, sh we really do, when we talk to our franchisees about how you can get that customer to come back, maybe it's for a Mardi Gras event. Come get what you need for Mardi Gras this time. Or you're going out, you're going to spring break, you're going on vacation, you're doing these different things. We, we try and come up with these marketing plans that really do attract a customer to come in and keep on buying with us, whether it be, through, whether it be for Mardi Gras, spring break, or even just... We know that you know you might want these really nice pair of Urson boots or things of that nature. So we really, we really try and tap into our customers and touch them in a way that they keep on coming back for just different things throughout the seasons. Laura, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about competition. Is there stuff coming up? I mean, coming out of the woodwork? I think people have tried to be in this space because everything, everything can be disrupted at some point. But I don't think people have handled it in the way that we have. Um, a lot of times they're they're doing a central facility that they it's really slow to scale because it's very capital intensive. So let's think about that breakdown. It's the person comes to your house would take the laundry, but instead of washing it at home, they bring it to just a giant laundry. Yeah, it's an employee of a laundromat um, or a partner laundromat or a facility that they have to take it to. But then you have multiple people touching your clothes and it gets washed with other people's clothing. It's not very individualized or personalized, and it doesn't scale. Yeah. So I think this is the right model at the right time. I think something that I've learned in any type of world nowadays is a lot of people like that personalized touch and they want to feel like, oh, this person is here for me. You know what I'm saying? Not just this person's here for the masses of the people, they're for me. And I think that that goes across the board from your first touch point of them, their first point of contact with you to that very last point of contact with you as well. They want to feel that you know them and you know what they like. And I think that that it determines success in any type of business. As times change and we hand the reins of business over to the next generation, it's interesting how our definition of success is changing. Success used to be defined numerically by a dollar amount. Today, how you make money is as important as how much you make. The rise of the sharing economy reflects the sentiment. Spreading wealth in a socially responsible manner is a better goal than individually getting rich at any cost. For example, we all know the name Henry Ford, Ford didn't invent the automobile, but he did invent a way to make a lot of money out of making and selling cars. This generation, we all know Uber, but it's the concept of ride-sharing that we admire. Most people probably couldn't tell you the name of the person who started it. Laurel, I suspect if Hamper gets to be as big as Uber, your primary source of pride won't be how much money you've made for yourself, but rather how many people you've given an opportunity to, to have an independent business. And Christina, in the face of the stiffest retail headwinds in decades, you're bucking trends and expanding a chain of clothing stores because rather than building an empire focused on a single impressive annual report, you're growing a family of locally focused women-driven businesses. Christina and Laurel, it has been great to meet you. I look forward to keeping up with you and your successes. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. My guests and Out to Lunch today have been Christina Eberman, Brand Marketing and Events Manager at Hemline, and Laurel Hess, founder of Hamper. 
We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Christina's stores and Laurel's laundry by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurPhoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugar cane. Three Roll is cane to glass. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 